So I want to talk tonight about something. I, I went to a Christian college. Um, is, is everyone here go to UTA? No. No. And that was like a scornful, you must go to like Longhorns or something like that. I don't know. Anyways. Um, so here, here's my story. I grew up and I went to a, a military school down in Texas, Harlingen, which they call the armpit of Texas. It's just kind of a, a cool place. Um, and, and life was really good. I did really well. And then my senior year, I just went south. Um, and in one year, I went from being just a kind of model student and doing really well. Um, I, I hurt my knee in football, got hooked on steroids, and then started abusing them, uh, and then kind of got into alcohol. And in one year, and I was only like 17, 18, my life just went like that. It was just a mess. Um, and so I graduated, and the reason I went to the school is you could get appointments to the Naval Academy. And so I was really excited to do that. It was an expensive school. Um, but I'd been there long enough, I decided I didn't want to go. So you can imagine my dad's joy when I call him on the phone and say, hey, you know that tuition you spent so I could go to a school I want to go? I don't want to go there anymore. So where can I go? And he like hung up. That was his response. He just like hung up, like not going to happen. And then he called back, and he was a wise man. He's a believer. I grew up in a Christian home. He said, I'll make you a deal. If you want my money, I'll pay for a Christian school. You can go to Biola University, which is a Christian school out in L.A. He goes, that's all you get from me. And he hung up. So, you know, we're kind of like at the stalemate. And I'm like, ah, I don't want to go around, be around Jesus people because I'm not following Jesus. And I know what that looks like. And, and, and here, I'll, I'll tell you honestly, my, my truth at that time, and I think a lot of your friends, is Christians don't have any fun. And so really, I thought, man, if I go to a Christian school, like my life is over. I'm going to have to like put on, you know, monk robes and kind of walk around. <laughs> I know, none of you guys are doing that. But here's what happened. So I get, to, I get to this Biola place, Christian school. A lot of Christians around. We had worship. We had chapel speakers. It was really cool. But, but I, I realized this tension going on in my life because guess what? I still had sin in my life. So I'll just be honest. I went to an all-guys military school, and there were some really ugly guys. And now I'm in California at a co-ed school. So raise your hand if anyone can imagine what my quandary was right here, right? So I'm just, like literally, me and my roommates would take the couch out of the dorm and just put it on the front lawn and watch all the students walk to the girls' dorm. Like, I mean, we weren't scamming. We were like being friendly, you know, like, you know, just being nice. So that's what we did. And then to make matters worse, I met my fiance. In fact, there is a picture. Do you have it? Not of my fiance, but. So I'm the norm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I was supposed to show you me, but do you see Steve's hair in there? And look at Ruth. So, yes, that was, that, that was at the San Diego Zoo. That, that's Steve. So you can just leave that up while I talk. So if I look silly, just look at Steve behind me. So here's, here's the tension I had. I'm at this Christian school. I'm finally serious about following Jesus. And it was kind of one of those miracles where when I just said, hey, I need to get serious, the things were, those, those big things kind of fell away. But as I continued to follow Jesus, I came to realize, have you ever had one sin you were praying would go away? And when it went away, you came to realize you had more sin? It's like peeling an onion. Like, I don't know about girls because I'm not one. I have daughters. I still don't understand them. Sorry, Violet. Um, but it's like when you peel an onion, you have this one sin, and you think to yourself, if I could just get rid of cussing, for example, um, it, it would be better. And then when that goes away, you realize you have other sins like pride and envy, and all of a sudden you're like, man, these sins are actually kind of more serious. Like, I need to wrestle with them. And so I'm at Biola, and here was my tension. I love Jesus, but I was living with sin. Has, has anyone ever experienced that? And, and I'll tell you what, it was killing me. 
Because, because the truth was, when I was at military school not following Jesus, I had no guilt or remorse. Like, I know a lot of times we go to people and go, man, you're sinning, don't you feel bad? And they just look at you like, not really, I feel pretty good. But then when we encounter Jesus, when you invite the God of the universe, a holy, perfect God into your life, there's a stark contrast going on. And so I had this incredible tension and incredible guilt. And, and I didn't know how to deal with sin. My, my MO at the time, and, and if you do this, you're a fool, and I mean that in love, but you are a fool. Um, so here's what would happen. I would sin, and it would usually be, you know, like at this place, and we've worshiped Jesus, and I'm loving Jesus, and then the sin comes, and I had such shame. What I would do is kind of turn away and hide from God for a week. It's like some of your smiles say that you're fellow fools, so thank you for being honest about it. Don't have to raise your hand. But what would happen is I would turn away and I would just kind of like punish myself like God doesn't want to see me and God doesn't love me and he's angry at me and I'm just going to hide out. And then after a week, when, when kind of the emotion of that wore off, I'd kind of like drift back to God and, and get back into it. And then, but you can imagine this was a vicious, vicious cycle. And, and what I wish someone had taught me is what does it look like to love Jesus but live with sin? Because I had no idea. The closest I ever got, if you have a Bible, Romans 7, 16, I remember somebody shared this verse. They didn't say what it meant. Uh, I wish they had done that. So sometimes when you just share a verse, you know, like tell them what it means a little bit or at least take a guess. Uh, but Romans seven fifteen, I'm sorry, it says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want. Like what are the things we want to do? We want to follow Jesus. We want to walk with Jesus. We want to do these things that, that please him. And, and yet Paul, now, was Paul a pretty holy guy? Did Paul have a cool conversion experience? Anybody here get knocked off by a bolt, you know, lightning and, and voices from the heavens and you went blind for a while? Anybody? Because that's a sweet conversion story. Uh, anybody, like, I know we pray for healing and that's exciting, but anybody, like, you know, you go lay on top of people and they come back to life? In fact, Paul was such a healer, he could touch Kleenex. You could take the Kleenex. I don't think he used them. He just touched them. You could take the Kleenex out, touch somebody who was sick, and they would be healed. Okay? So this is Paul. So I'm like, this is a saint. And he's saying, I don't do the things I want to do. And I'm like, okay, missing the mark. I kind of get that. But then he goes on to say, but I do the very thing I what? I hate. Anybody hate their sin? Okay, that's a sign of redemption right there. The fact that you hate your sin, the fact, that the, the fact that you feel it means there's something going on inside of you, okay? So Paul writes this, but no one explained it. And then he goes on a few, a few verses later to say, and I love it, who will save me from the wretched man that I am? And, and we don't have to, like, pause for dramatic effect. The answer is Jesus. Good. Okay. Got a few Jesuses there. That works. Jesus usually works in that kind of setting. So I want us to look at sin. I want us to look at this idea of why is it we often don't do the things we want to do and we do the very things we hate. Now, can anyone identify with that? Please just raise your hand because we're going to hit a verse later and if you didn't raise your hand, it's going to be bad for you. Okay. So <laughs> I want us to look at sin. So first of all, we can talk circles around sin. Like it's so easy to get around Christians in a clean environment and talk about sin right? Because it's kind of safe and sterile. It, it's like dissecting something in the lab. You got like that dead pig and you're dissecting it and you're like, oh yeah, I understand pigs. Like get out in the mud, deal with the pigs and it's kind of different. So what is sin? I have a definition I'll throw out, but anybody got one? Separation from God. Yeah, the, the wages of sin is death and, and part of that death is separation from God. What else? Sin 
Failing to love God and others. So if the greatest commandment is love God and others and you fail at it and that covers everything you've sinned, I'm, yeah, it works. Going against God's will. Okay? And that one trips people up because, like, man, if God has a will and I go against it, like, what's going to happen? Anybody else? Here, here's the definition. Just the word itself in the Greek, it, it, it's like an archery term, and it means to miss the mark. So if you line up your bow and you line up the arrow and you pull back and thunk, you miss, which I always miss. I'm not a very good archer. That is, the, the word just simply is sin. So think about that. If you miss the mark in life, if you miss God's mark, you've sinned. Okay? So we think about that. We think about what sin is. Uh, who has sinned? Romans says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all have sinned. Now, some of us like that. We're like, yeah, I remember back in those days when I sinned a lot. Okay? But 1 John 1.8 says something very interesting. If anyone says to be without sin, they are a liar. So that's why you had to raise your hand when I said, do you sin? If anyone says to be without sin, they are a liar, and the truth is not in them. Now, this gets kind of scary right here because the truth in this passage is referring to what? Jesus, the gospel. So if we walk around saying we're without sin. Now, I have to say that because there are some theologies, and I won't pick on them or churches, but there are some theologies that teach you can attain in this life a state of sinlessness. Okay, not going to happen. Because that means Paul didn't get there. So if, if, you, if you end up around those people or in that church and you kind of hear that, and it's a heavy, it's a heavy trip. Because you got people going, man, you've been walking with Jesus, like how sinless are you? And you're like... Uh, not very, because I'm peeling my onion, and like there's stuff inside of me, like man, the cussing and the swearing and the drinking, like that was easy. That went away not very hard, but like we got stuff now. It needs a Brillo pad, and it needs the Holy Spirit, and it's gonna get rough. Okay, so all do sin, all have sin. Now let, let, let's just go practical here. And, and there's an elder in the room, so we're we're just gonna be real honest, and he's probably tired of me pointing that out, but whatever. He's a normal guy. So give me some sins, because here's the deal. Me and Kurt could sit here and say the sins we wrestle with, and I, and I venture to guess some of them are similar. Some of them are different, okay? I, I know me and Kurt look incredibly young and fit and everything, but we are a little bit older than you. <clears throat> In case you didn't, really? That was good. Who said that? You're going to be a lawyer or a salesman. Is this for me to white? I've always wanted to be like that preacher that just, like, yeah. Woo! Yeah, that's like Tony Evans right there, man. I'm on that. Just, hey, every once in a while, just kind of do it, and I'll, I'll wipe sweat. I'm going to, we're going to get, yeah, you told me to bring down the house on people. This is good. So give me a list of sins. I was going to whiteboard it, but this is so pretty, I don't want to mess it up. G give me some sins here. Lust. Okay, slow down, one at a time. Lust is a sin. Now, lust, remember Jesus says, if you lust in your heart, it's the same as... Adultery, so Jesus kind of does this whole level the playing field thing. What'd you say? Arson? Arson, burning stuff. Okay, I heard arson. That's awesome. I, I was five years old and I burned down five acres and I was on probation. Me and a buddy, <clears throat> it was bad. You were doing arson as a joke, huh? You didn't know that was like my falling. Thanks, I'm going to fall in. If I burn something down tonight, I'm, I'm blaming you. Anyways, what else do we have? What's the sin? Ooh. Okay, we went from the dark, ugly sins to just, yeah, when you have pride and you look down on others. Tall people do that sometimes. <laughs> I'm sorry, but when Jeff was worshiping, like, worship can be dangerous because Jeff's just like, 
praising God with his hands in the air, and us short guys are watching the fan. Like, if this man goes just a little Pentecostal, them fingers are getting whacked. Okay? So looking down on others, what else is a sin? Let's be practical here. Lying, adultery. Now, what is adultery? So I'm married. So only the married people in the room can commit adultery. Okay. So what is it? You can say the. I'll just I'll just bust the word out there. It involves the word sex. Let's just throw it out. Sex outside of marriage. Now I, I want to say something right now. Um, is that camera set up yet? Dang it! It's not good. Okay. Listen. This is like the biggest lie that kids who grow up in the church believe. Okay, we can do this. Raise your hand if you know what sexual intercourse means. This is like a biology lesson, right? This is really easy. Everyone's like, I don't know where the guy's going, but it's easy. Okay, listen. Purity and virginity are not about just avoiding sexual intercourse. There is a lot of sexual activity that leads to intercourse that God says is not part of maintaining virginity and purity. Does that make sense? So when we hear about adultery and we're like, well, hey, as long as that one thing doesn't happen, I'm doing it. Like, there's, there's, there, there's a lot of fire to be played with before you get to that one thing. Just say amen and I'll stop, okay? That was like my soapbox. Good. Okay, what's another sin? Whoo! Getting super drunk. Yeah, and I liked how you said that. I grew up Baptist. So in the Baptist world, like any alcohol was evil. And then when I was in the sixth grade, my parents switched over to Presbyterianism, which means now we're at parties with alcohol. And no one sat me down and explained the difference, right? And I still had all the verses growing up, like, if you drink beer, you're going to hell. And I'm like, what's dad doing with a beer, right? So the way you said it is good. Now, I, I got to say this, too. If you grew up in the Christian home, now, let me just say this. If your parents said, alcohol is wrong, don't touch it, honor your mother and father. Right? That, that's all we got. If your parents said the Bible says alcohol is a sin, read your Bible. Okay? Let's, let's just go there. Right? Y'all know Jesus' first miracle. What was it? Okay. 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 Let's don't have your parents call me. Whatever. You, you're in college. Okay. Any other sins? How about James? This, this one just kind of widens. So you have, you have sins of commission, which is what you do. What is the sin of omission? Ooh. So James says, if you see the thing you ought to do and you don't do it, it's a sin. And how many times do you see something to do? The Holy Spirit's like, hey, go talk to that person. And you're like, I'm not going to talk to that person. Yeah, I love the groan. That, that's me too, right? So if you see the thing you ought to do and you don't go do it, it's a sin. So sin is a broad spectrum. Can we, can we live with that? Well, you have to live with it. You don't really have a vote, okay? And then the effects of sin is what? Death. Yeah, separation from God. It's spiritual death. Ultimately, it becomes eternal life without God, which, like, it's life without God. Like, that's the worst form of death you can get. If you have a Bible, a real Bible made of paper, I know I have a smartphone, but I'm not, I am not joining the club yet. Mainly because the font's so small, I have to bust these out just to get on my smartphone. So, uh, Psalm 32. Verse 3, I want you to listen to this, and I want you to think in your head, just now, I was going to do this icebreaker. I was really excited about it, and I'm so glad I didn't. Uh, you get a permanent marker, and you write different sins on people's foreheads. And then they have to go around the room, and you don't know what's on your forehead, but people have to act it out for you till you guess what it is. 
Um, but my wife said that would be a really bad idea because, like, adultery. I mean, it just it gets weird, you know. What do you do with that? So, so we're not going to play Will's stupid game, but I want you to get a sin you struggle with. Everyone got one? Just, just get in your head. Don't raise your hand. That would be awkward. Just get it. Now, listen to the psalmist. This is David. He describes the effect of sin in our lives in Psalm 32.3. It says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Have you ever noticed it was sin? There's a lot of silence going on. There's a lot of silence between you and God because you're not always running to God going, Hey, look what I... Oh, never mind. Right? That doesn't work. You're also not always going to others. Because it's kind of this thing, like sometimes the sins are things you've just been dying to do, but when they happen, there's so much shame, like there's a lot of silence involved. And it says, my bones wasted away. It's actually taking the life out of you. The, the, the center of your bones is your marrow, and the very life of you is being sucked away. Through my groaning all day long. Anybody ever walked in the kind of guilt where you're groaning? And it's interesting because you can have the kind of groaning that the Holy Spirit prays in words and groans that, that men can't understand. But you also have on this flip side, your, your response, your physical response to sin can be groaning. For day and night, now watch this, your hand was heavy upon me. What is the heaviness you're feeling? Conviction? Guilt? Whose hand is it? It's God's. I want you to think for a minute, God loves you so much that when we sin, he puts his hand on you to say, hey, hey, we, we got to deal with this. Now, I, I didn't chime up the word shame, and you guys can wrestle with this. Uh, guilt is feeling bad about a behavior. Shame is feeling bad about ourselves. So here's the question, and I'm not going to answer it, but you guys have like a cool study on it sometime. Uh, as Christians, should we feel guilt, and then should we feel shame? Okay, so you guys wrestle with that. I'm, I'm not doing it. But, and then it goes on to say, my, I love this verse for where we're at. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Yeah, here we are at 100. What is it? Like, we moved here from Idaho last year. I don't know what is wrong with you people, but this is, this is messed up. And, like, Saturday is supposed to be 100. And anybody here get the, the strength sapped out of them? Anybody right now just like dozing off like it is so hot? Hey, I got to say, being in here and I got sweat running down my back right now on the backs of my knees, this is awesome. Like, do you realize 75% of Christians around the world, when they gather to worship, it's like this? Like, you're in a, I, I think we need to turn off the AC Sunday and just say, hey, we're going to like celebrate Global Sunday and just sweat with our brothers and sit, like he's not even going to entertain that, but this is good. All right. Kurt's like, I am never coming when Will talks again. It's like he's got one-on-one -on -one with an elder, and he's not even preaching. He's just doing this. So anyways, so, so you have this response. Anyone identify with the psalmist right here when he talks about sin? The groaning and the heaviness. Now, I, I want you to think about two pictures of sin. These are two pictures of help me. Uh, each one of us have a house. Okay, you don't have a house. Some of you are confused. Your life is a house. Okay, so you got the living room. Who do you invite into the living room? Everybody. People come into your living room. You got your bedroom. Who comes into the bedroom? Not everybody, ladies. Not everybody comes in your bedroom, okay? You got the closet in the back of the bedroom. Nobody goes in that because when company's coming, you make a beeline from the living room to that, that closet. You stuff it, and nobody's going in there. Now, think about our lives in terms of sin. Do we have parts of our life that we kind of lock away like that? 
So we got parts of our lives, and I'll be honest, we invite Jesus into our lives, and we're like, man, come in the living room, I'll have coffee with you in the kitchen, uh, we can do all that, but there's some parts of my life I'm, I'm not going to pray about. I want you to think for a minute, are there any parts of your life you never talk with Jesus about? Yeah, I think a lot of you, the answer is no. You're like, I'll tell him everything, because he already knows it, right? You're like, he knows it, why would I not talk about it? Um, another imagery of sin that, that helps me out is think of dogs. So you're in the house, and you got these two dogs, Okay. You got this big, vicious pit bull. The dog? Johnny, are you being creepy? <laughs> Creepiness is a sin. I'm just, I'm not laying that on you. I'm just saying, being creepy, a little sinful. So you got two dogs in your life. You got this massive pit bull. Now, does anyone here like pit bulls? Okay, you're just ridiculous. My uncle had a pit bull, and he was a pit bull lover, and he, he collected them. And then he had this beautiful Arabian mare. He lived up in Alaska. He was nuts. And one day, guess what the pit bull did? No. Got the neck of the Arabian mare, just hung on, shook it to death, and, like it, and that was the end of the pit bull. So I, I know you think pit bulls are sweet, but in the end, they're not sweet. They, you know, it's like collecting snakes. Like, come on. It, it, you know. And then you got this golden retriever. Now, you got these two, these, these two things live in your house. What does scripture call those? Because dogs are kind of silly. You have your flesh, and you have the spirit. Now, here's the question you have to ask. Which one do you feed and pay attention to? Because the one you feed and pay attention to is the one that's going to grow. And the one you ignore is the one that's going to diminish. Now, some of you are like, well, the Holy Spirit will never diminish. Can you quench the Spirit? Can you ignore the promptings of the Spirit and eventually the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is, is a gentleman. That's the best way I know to say it. It's fascinating to me in Scripture that demons will come in and take full control of another human being. Now, some of us guys, at least, were like, why can't the Holy Spirit do that? Like, if he came into my life and just could control, it would be awesome. Like, I'd be doing the right thing and singing the right songs. And, like, but he doesn't do it. He'll, he'll prompt you, and he'll whisper, and he'll speak through Scripture, but he's asking you to do it. And so we have to ask, which one are we paying attention to? So how do we respond to sin? We've got sin in our life. We, we've talked about what some of them are. What's the right response to sin? Was my idea of hiding for a week, a good idea. How, how far back does that, does that uh, idea go? Yeah, first sin in the Bible, Adam and Eve sin, and what's the first thing they do? They hide. Did it work? No. Okay, now God is, is merciful and gracious, and he comes, and he doesn't just come roaring down and taking names and kicking. kicking. Um, he comes down, and he says, you know, where are you? And, and why are you hiding? And he asks these questions, and he has a conversation. But what is a biblical response to sin? Face it. Yeah, okay, go to God. I like that. Thanks for stealing one of my answers. Make no provision for the flesh. So when it comes to those two dogs, like it is not getting attention, and it's not getting fed. Now, can you starve that thing to death? No, it's not going to happen. Till the end of your days, you will live with your flesh, and I know sometimes, like, you know, as Christians, we say things like, you know, Satan made me do it, and I'm being tempted. Like, sometimes in my life, I know Satan's like, just leave Will alone. Him and his flesh, he'll come up with something really stupid. <laughs> like, there's times it's just like, dude, leave the guy alone. He'll make a bigger mess than, you know, five demons could do to him. So, but yeah. There's always a way out of the temptation. Yeah, that's awesome. There's always a way out. Cool. Is it, is it always out? Is it through it or around it or over it? Or what do you think? Okay, man, this guy's sharp. I knew it when he got buzz cut. That's always sharp. Well, 
I want you to look, because you go to the next verse. Isn't it weird? You got this psalm where the psalmist describes this condition of being in sin, the heaviness, the groaning, as in the heat of the day. And then he tells us, I believe in these two verses, how to respond to sin. Now, this is David. Did David wrestle with sin? Yes. Okay? So David had sin. Did David love Jesus? Yeah. Did David live with sin? So this quandary of saying, I love Jesus, but I live with sin, did David know what that meant? Okay, so listen to what he says. I acknowledged my sin to you. So you just said something about facing it, right? Like, boom, it came out of his mouth. Now, let me just say, there's power when something comes out of your mouth. Okay, guys, I I dated a girl for four years in college. I was only engaged for like six months. Uh, You can love a girl and like a girl till you're blue in the face. And you can think about it, and you can, like, walk up and punch her on the shoulder. Uh, that's a, doing junior high, not college. Um, you can like the girl till you're blue in the face till it comes out of your mouth. It's not reality. Like, you're living in, like, an alter, alternative dimension there. When you're like, I just love her, and one day she's going to marry me, and she's my sweetheart. And, like, until you say it to her, like, it's not. And, and so the psalmist says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I didn't just walk around bombed. I didn't walk around depressed. But I actually acknowledge it. Now, if, if he acknowledges the sin to God, what is he doing? He, he's praying. He's talking to God. This is prayer. And so all of a sudden, our prayers are saying, in our prayers, we're saying, God, that thing I did the other day. How many of you, when you go to bed, you just lay there and ask the Holy Spirit, say, hey, would you show me any iniquity or sin in my life today? It's not a good idea because you don't go to sleep right away, <laughs> if you're me, you know. But yeah, it's, it's a way to say, the Holy, will the Holy Spirit reveal this to us? Absolutely. So he says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. Now, how do we cover? Adam and Eve, you know, they made fig leaves, and they kind of tried to cover up what was embarrassing. I don't even know if we have fig leaves around here. I think they're itchy. Um, how do we cover up sin? Make excuses. Yeah. Denial. Well, it wasn't really that bad. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't cross the line. I mean, there's that, but, you know, I didn't get drunk. I just got dizzy, whatever the word is. Okay, so sometimes when we sin, we're like, man, I'm going to go help at VBS. I'm not saying anyone at VBS is sinning, okay? I don't want to get booed by the amp thing, okay? But some of us, we have in our nature that if we sin, we're going to go do a bunch of righteous thing and kind of get our standing with God back up. That's a way to cover it. Do you ever just lie to yourself? I've done it. So, I mean, literally, you can study people have actually forgetting certain sins just so they don't have to deal with them. But the psalmist says, I will not cover my iniquity. And then watch this. I said, I will confess my transgression. So step one in sin is what? Confess it. That we verbally say, I did it. Now, that was a lame confession. What would a real confession look like? I took part in and you spell it out. Just saying I did it, like that's about as vague as it gets. Okay, we, we're usually pretty specific in our sin. So when we confess, we want to be specific as well. And then watch this. He says, I confess my transgressions to the Lord. That idea of to the, we get the word what? Repent. What does the word repent mean? Someone said it. Yeah, it's an about face. We turn from one thing to another. Oh, man. Reach it. It's good. That's actually really good. I I was teasing you earlier, but I'm dripping. So it says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. So two steps are what? We confess, 
and we repent. The direction in which we confess, the, the direction we turn is critically important. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now, I want to throw something out. We're not going to chew on it very long. But the word and there is a conjunction that says as a result. So what is the psalmist saying? He's saying, when I confessed to the Lord and repented, forgiveness happened. We're going to look at some verses in a minute that kind of talk about it. I want to ask you guys a question. So we have confess and repent. So let's look at confess. Now, how many of you think confession is old school? Catholic. Anybody grow up Catholic? Anyone ever go to a confessional? I think I saw Mary in your Bible, so that's cool. You ever go to a confessional? Okay. Are, are you still a practicing Catholic? Okay, cool. So um, does anybody think confession is just limited within those realms right there? So it's kind of an old, because, you know, you could say, well, Will, you're reading a psalm, and the psalm's the Old Testament, and we're New Testament believers, and so does this really apply? So let, let's fast forward. 1 John 1, 9. Now, 1 John 1, 8 said, if you say without sin, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. Watch what John follows that up with. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all and, and unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness? Any sin not covered by that? Now, okay, uh, James 5.16 says this. So you have this idea of confessing to God. James 5.16 might blow your mind because he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So what is James saying? Go to each other, confess your sins, pray for each other, and you will experience healing. Now, I'm going to ask a question and I may not answer it. I'm, I'm well within my rights to do that. The word if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. James says, confess and pray so that. What are both of those if and so that doing? Let me ask it this way. Can you be forgiven without confession? You got to think about it. Because it says if and it says so that. It's conditional. So, so here's a problem. Let's go back to our Catholic idea. Why is suicide within the Catholic faith a sin? Because you can't confess it. It's this catch-22. That's why on our deathbed you call for a priest, and the priest comes, and, and you confess your sins, and you get absolution. So here's the problem with that. When you, if you were to die, let's say you walk out of here, you're struck dead out on that street. Boom. Anybody have unconfessed sins as they die? Okay, so if the logic says that if you die with unconfessed sins, you can't go to heaven, it doesn't work. When Jesus hung on the cross, what sins did he pay for? All. Say it again? All. Yeah. So is it fair to say that, that forgiveness is based on confession? No, it, it can't be. Right? Jesus paid it once and for all. He, he's not waiting in heaven saying, you know, I died on the cross and forgave that sin, Jeff, and if you confess it, I'll forgive it. Because the problem with that scenario is how many sins do you not confess? If there's sins of omission, there's sins I do. I don't even realize at the end of the day I did them. And I'm not just trying to blank out or, or be stubborn. I just, like, I go through life, and I think thoughts, and I look at someone and think, ah, like that, and I walk, like, I don't even remember it. Why are you laughing? Like, nobody else does that? Come on, man. Great, Steve. Bring in the most messed up human on earth to talk to these perfect college students. Okay, whatever. We'll do that. So here's what I want to explain to you. It's the experience of forgiveness. When you confess, you experience forgiveness. Does that make sense? So the sin was forgiven before you committed it. 
Jesus hanging on the cross knew the sins you would commit, and he paid the price for them. They're forgiven. But do we always walk in experiencing that forgiveness? Like, remember the dogs? Here's what confession is. Anybody enjoy confessing their sin? Like, don't raise your hand, but think about this. When's the last time you confessed a sin to someone? And I don't mean you got caught. Mom pulling out the tax record saying, hey, did you text so-and-so? And you're like, yeah, I did. Like, yeah, that's not a confession. Okay? This is us not covering. This is what it is. You're taking that dog out of the back room. And you're going in there, and that thing's snarling, and it's nasty, and it's satanic, and it's telling you, if you drag this sin out there, if you say what it is, if you confess your sins to one another, people are going to judge you. That thing you're doing back there, you're the only one that does that. Nobody else does that anymore. And you're walking in, and you're saying, I'm not listening to your lies, and you're grabbing this beast by the, the scruff of the neck, and you're literally dragging it out. And it's kicking and screaming and making accusations. And you got tears and snot running down your face. And you're saying, when I tell people I did this, it is not going to go well. And confession is the boldness and the courage to walk out and say, see this thing right here? This is what I struggle with. And I will guarantee you from scripture and personal experience, you will experience forgiveness in ways you've never experienced it before. If, if your experience of forgiveness is just some, yeah, I know I did a bunch of things, but Jesus forgave me, you're not, you're not even understanding it. Your experience of communion, your experience of the gospel, your experience of what Jesus did when you're willing to drag sins, kicking and screaming into the light will be radically transformed. And so confession is key to how we deal with sin. And i got to ask it again, when's the last time you confessed? Have you confessed? Some of you right now got things you're laying awake chewing on, and, and I'm telling you straight up, you may need to find someone to say, hey, i, I, I got to just say this. Now, you're not going to a priest. They're not going to forgive you, right? Because that's already happened, but you're going to experience it. And, and here's the deal. You look around this room right here. You walk up to anyone in this room and say, I need to tell you what I've been struggling with. They're going to speak forgiveness into your life. They're going to point you to Jesus and say, you understand that's forgiven. And sometimes, guess what? We don't. We're living the lie. We got that thing in the back room, and so it's time. Now, what about repent? Jesus preached a message when he walked the earth. What was it? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, right? Okay, so it was Jesus' message. Now, repent means what? Simple, simple word. Turn from one thing to another. Now, sounds good. Legalism says you turn from one bad behavior to one good behavior. Okay? So, VBS, just smile with me. So, if you've been out partying a lot, and that's your sin, legalism says, hey, don't party anymore, but let's go do VBS this week. We'll replace one bad behavior with one good behavior. Sound good? I mean, wouldn't you agree that if you're getting stoned all the time, and you're turning from that saying, every time I have the temptation to smoke marijuana, instead I'm going to come over here and play basketball. Doesn't that sound better? Like, how many of you have dreamed of one sin in your life, and you think, if, if Jesus would get rid of that one sin in my life, that one thing I've struggled forever with, my life would be radically different? I've got that. I still got one today. Okay? So you have this dream of getting rid of the sin. Jesus tells a parable about getting rid of a sin. Listen to it. Matthew 12, 43 through 45. When an impure spirit comes out of a person. Now, spirit in this case can refer to a spiritual being and or a behavior. It goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Okay? So you have something in your... Oh, did I say it wrong? 
1243. Uh, it goes out. Now, here's the deal. Some of us are victory. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. Remember the house analogy? I stole it from Jesus. That's so smart. Uh, when it arrives, now, I want you to think for a minute. This right here has often been my dream in following Jesus. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Anybody want to have a house that's swept clean and put in order? I sure do. If, if I could have that sin and say, man, I used to do this, and now I don't do it anymore, and look at my life, isn't this great? Like, that seems wonderful. Maybe not. Here's what Jesus says. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. So whatever that sin was, you were thinking, if I could just get it out of my life, sweep it and put it in order, my life would be better. This spirit comes back and brings seven spirits more wicked. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. What on earth is Jesus talking about? Get rid of the sin in your life. It leaves, goes out, finds it clean and swept in order, and now it's going to be worse? How, how could that be? Like, let's just say bulimia. I, I've struggled with bulimia in my life. That's, and, and you don't say that as a guy because that's like a girl thing, but whatever. Um, so I have this thing that if I could get rid of that, my life would be better, and it would be perfect, and, you know, I'd just, like, have it all made. What, if I got rid of it and swept clean and put in order, what could be worse that would take its place? What's that? Overeat. Okay, so you could swing the pendulum the other way. It, here's the deal. Most of us, if we could conquer a sin and, and, and sweep it clean and put it in order, what, what are we going to start to do? We're going to get proud. We're going to look down on the other people struggling with the same sin. Are those seven sins worse than the original? Absolutely. Jesus comes to the earth when he speaks to Pharisees, when he speaks to people who are clean and swept and put in order, what kind of words does he use to them? Vipers, whitewashed tombs, you den of, I mean, like, it's what he says. So here's the deal. Legalism says you turn from one behavior to another. You clean it out, you sweep it up, and you say, hey, look at me. The gospel says we turn to Jesus. What you turn to is radically important. Now, some of you are saying, well, I'm, I'm in sin. So you're saying, in sin, I turn to Jesus? Like, isn't Jesus holy? How am I going to do that? Your understanding of the gospel, if you understand the gospel, you should be able, in the middle of your sin, at the beginning of your sin, right after the sin, when the guilt just kind of comes flooding over you, you should be able to have a conversation with Jesus in the moment. There's no condemnation. Now, there's kind of this voice in you going, how can I talk to Jesus right when I'm sinning? He saw you do it. Like, really? You're going to avoid Jesus and think it's okay? And so repent says we turn to Jesus, we turn in the moment. Now, I, I want to ask you this question. Is your goal to get rid of sin or get more of Jesus? Because legalism says get rid of sin. Sweet, clean, clean that house, put it in order. But what was the word before that that I ignored on purpose? Unoccupied, empty. What's your house supposed to be filled with? So literally, in this house analogy, you're walking through the house with Jesus. You're kicking every door open. It doesn't matter what's in there. You're saying, Jesus, I, I need you to occupy this house. I'm not interested in it being swept and, and neat and put in order. Because here's the deal. The more you invite Jesus into your life, the messier the house is going to get. He's like the mother-in-law. No hard feelings, okay? But it's like the mother-in-law coming over and going, what is this? You know, like, like he's, he's going to do it. Jeff invites Jesus into every part of his life, and Jesus comes in and goes, hey, I love you. What's going on back here? 
And man, if Jeff understands the gospel, he's able to say, yeah, that's, that's something I shouldn't be doing. Does this make sense? So you have to ask the question, is our goal to get rid of sin or get more of Jesus? And I got to say, our goal is not getting rid of sin. Our goal is getting more of Jesus. Because if your goal is to get rid of sin, will you ever arrive? If your goal is to get more of Jesus, will you arrive? Oh, yeah. You will, you will arrive in a heartbeat. So the gospel says we turn to Jesus. Now, here's the beautiful thing. You get more of Jesus, and sins will begin to fall away. Has anyone ever set out to just work on a sin with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? How'd it go? Okay. <laughs> You're so honest. I love this guy. See, tall people can be cool. I knew it. Sorry. That's like wrong. Come on, dude. You're so tall. I, I just have to do it. What? Okay, you sweep it under the rug. The more that comes out. Let, let me tell you a new proposal. You guys ever, we, we live right by some trains. We live in Duncanville. Anybody know where Duncanville? You did? Yeah, Duncanville. All right, yeah. Like, we don't have a, our mall's like shut down. It's like ghetto now. But anyways, um, no, it is. It's ghetto. It's, it's the Redbird Malls. You don't go there. Four shot, yeah. It's like it's not ghetto, like it's empty ghetto, yeah. So, anyways, um, so we have these trains that go right by our house. Now, anybody ever watch trains? Please tell me you're not too adult to watch trains. Like at least when you're driving, you get stuck. Now, one of the things about trains that fascinates me, and I wish I had a pic. I loved how you said the verse, and they said no, not that one, another one, and he fixed it. Like pictures of trains. This is awesome. <laughs> Woo! Pictures of trains. Yeah. Anyways, so. You see these trains going by, and what do you notice on these train cars? There's something really interesting. Graffiti. And I don't mean like a little graffiti that says, Will likes Jenny. I mean like, do your hand motion. Like, they spent all day on that thing. It's like art. And, and it is. Some of it's actually, can I say this? Some of it's really cool. I'm like, that guy is talented. Because it's got like shapes and shadows and all that. Now, how do you think that train got tagged? I want a graffiti train, by the way, if you're looking up just plane trains. At night? What does that mean? So, like, they have glow-in-the-dark bat, bat abilities? Say that again. Okay. When the train car is parked, it gets tagged. If you see a train car with no graffiti, what does that tell you? That it's hooked up to the engine, and it's moving and in use. Because I don't care how good a graffiti artist you are. When that train's going by at 50 miles an hour, you're not tagging it. So check this out. When we follow Jesus, when we are moving in direction on mission with Jesus, guess what happens to sin? It, it begins to fall away. Now, I didn't arrange this with Kurt, but Kurt, have you ever had sin in your life that as you walk with Jesus falls to the side? And if I were to say, what was your program? What was your method? Uh, what two steps did you use to get rid of the sin? What's the answer? You guys hear that? The method and the steps fail, but somehow, and I don't know how to explain it, when we walk with Jesus and the Holy Spirit begins to indwell us, this sin begins to fall away. And here's the beauty of it. No one gets to brag. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so when you're parked, this is what happens. When you begin to move, this stuff begins to shed away. And here's the beauty of it, and I know this is why Jesus does it. Because when the sin falls away, and you just heard Kurt say it, you don't get to brag about it. What happened to that sin? I have no idea, honey. I'm following Jesus. I'm getting serious. I'm, I'm kind of busy. I'm, I'm busy in pursuing the things of Christ, and it just falls away. Nice. You are, you are really good, Thomas. 
Let's give Thomas a hand. That, that is excellent. Thomas, the... Wow. Set myself up for that. So we're going to do something different. Now, I'm going to stop talking in a minute. And some of you are going, like, it's really hot and I'm sweating. Anybody at the back of your knees are sweating? That's, like, the worst sweat spot right there. Okay. Don't get up when I'm done because we're going to do something different, okay? You guys did something amazing and miraculous and fully gospel-centered when you came in here. What was it? We worship. Did anyone have unconfessed, unrepented sin in their lives when they began to worship? Do you know in the Old Testament when priests would go into the Holy of Holies, they would go in with bells and ropes? Anybody know this? And so they would have bells on the bottom of their robe. And here's the deal. What they were going into was so holy, they literally feared they would be struck dead by the kind of glory of God. And so they would go in with bells and a rope tied to their ankle. And here was the, here was the theory. If we hear the bell, like let's say we send Miles in. Okay? So Miles is going to go in. He's got the bells. We've got the rope. Miles goes in, and as long as we heard the bells kind of tingling, we're like, okay, Miles is doing the, the offering and the, you know, the, the, the incense and all that. Miles is good. When the bells go silent and we hear a thud, not good. And so we grab the rope, and literally we, we're going to drag Miles' body out of there. This is how they would go into the holiness of God. I want you guys to think about this. When we worship, we go into the very presence of God. On the cross, when Christ was crucified, that veil was torn top to bottom in two. And so we go boldly into the throne room of God. Now, I want you to think about this. We go in there without bells and without robes. The very act of worshiping God as broken, sinful creatures is a miracle. And so here's what I want us to do. Instead of playing a game of sins on your forehead, instead of saying, hey, I want you to stand up, confess, and, and some, you know, some people, I, I, was, I worked at a big church in Idaho, and we had this one guy, he was always late to every meeting. Like, he just didn't know how to be in time. There were like eight pastors, and, and he'd always walk in late, and, you know, he'd make funny excuses, and it was a little annoying, you know, passive-aggressively, that's a sin, I guess. No, that's, Okay. I confess, passive-aggressive is a sin. Um, he would walk in, and so one time when he walked in, he goes, hey, what were you guys talking about? And, and I, I got a little bit of wit on me. I'm sure elders will keep an eye on it. I said, we were just confessing the worst sin we've ever committed. And, and this beautiful, innocent, honest man says, oh, I've been waiting to get that one off my chest. And he just starts going into it. And, like, some of your eyebrows are like, you did not let him go. Oh, you bet we let him go on. Like, the whole room, we're just like, and he, he confesses. And, and here's the crazy thing. I was being a smart aleck, a pagan smart aleck. The rest of us were just being nosy, and yet this man confessed something. And, like, he was in tears and weeping going, I've never shared with anyone. It feels so amazing just to get it off. Now, just to follow up with that. The next week, we all got there, and I said, okay, guys, we, we put them on the spot. Didn't, well, we did mean to. Uh, now it's our turn. And literally, we had like this four-hour meeting of guys just confessing things they'd never talked about. Now, I, I thought about having us do that, and that would be really cool and dramatic, but, but I want us to do something more cool and more dramatic. Okay, raise your hand if you have a sin in mind that, that you really haven't dealt with. Anybody? If you say you're without sin, you're, okay, I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> Here's what's going to happen. Josie's going to come up, and I want you with that sin. You haven't confessed. You haven't repented. I want us to worship, okay? Because as believers, because of the gospel, in the midst of our sin, and I want you to remember this, the next time you're in the middle of a sin, 
Now, Satan wants to tell you, man, you're sinning, you're dirty, you're nasty, stay away from Jesus. The, the gospel says, come to me. And so literally, and, and, and think about this, if you turn to Jesus at the beginning or the middle of your sin, what's probably going to happen? You're going to stop what you were doing. Like, you can't do most of the sins we enjoy while talking to Jesus. Anybody get that? Like, remember when you were little, you could, like, put your hand up to the sun, like, the light, and be like, I can't see the light. And, like, and if you're really dumb, you're like, well, the light can't see me. Like, that's not true. <laughs> now, most of us, when we sin, do you have your eyes fixed on Jesus? Anybody ever do that? I don't think you do. I don't think anybody's sister going, man, Jesus is wonderful and Jesus is holy. And, man, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm staring at Jesus, and let me just do this disgusting wrong thing. What do we do? We take our eyes off, and, and we're idiots. Because we're kind of like, man, I'm not looking at Jesus, but the whole time he's looking at us. So the idea of in the middle of sin turning to Jesus is the most wonderful, glorious, freeing thing we can do. So as you think for a minute, Josie's going to lead us and then close us out because Josie's